Hi, you're listening to Koldo D Messianic Congregation's weekly podcast. Join us in person for our weekly Shabbat services every Saturday at 11 a.m. We meet at 3534 West End Avenue in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information, visit our website at koldod.org or follow us on Facebook and watch us live at facebook.com forward slash Nashville. And now, here's Rabbi Ken's latest message. Was, did Yeshua really rise from the dead? I don't know. Um, in Matthew chapter 27 and 28, let's look over there, Matthew 27, 28, and let's look over 1 Corinthians chapter 15, also Isaiah 52. There's a verse there that I want you to see. I think this is an amazing verse. Let me start there. Isaiah 52, verse uh, 13. I think this is an amazing verse. So open our eyes, Lord, to behold wonderful things from your word. And we, we pray that, Lord, that you speak to us through your word, Lord. Thank you. B'shem Yeshua. Gal enai ba'avitan niflaot me toratecha. Amen. Amen. Verse 13 says, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up. Avdi is my servant. Let's say avdi. Oh, that's a, a, a term, you know, uh, eved, servant. Messiah is the servant. Israel is the servant. Sometimes they're often interchanged throughout Isaiah. Sometimes God's talking about Israel. Sometimes he's talking about the Messiah. And so oftentimes, because the relationship is so close, um, my servant will prosper. He will be high. Notice this, high and lifted up and greatly exalted. And I think we have right here Yeshua's tree death, his atoning death, his triumphant resurrection, and his soaring ascension, all in this verse. I think his death, burial, his death, resurrection, and ascension are all right in that verse. The word high is rum. Let's say rum. Rum, okay. It means to elevate for an exalted goal. So he's lifted up. He's right if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. He's talking about his execution on the cross, his death. And he'd be <clears throat> placed, he'd, be, he'd die for us. He'd be elevated, it means, for an exalted goal. And the goal would be for our redemption. And then he says, high. And then in this case, lifted up is nasa. Let's say nasa. And that's to rise up. So there's the resurrection. Uh, it's my servant will prosper. He'll be High, then he'll be he'll be high, then he'll be lifted up. That's resurrection, and then uh, it, he'll be greatly exalted. And the word, Hebrew word gava, the root, give me the root gava. Let's try gava. Gava means to rise very high through the concentration of elements. So it's to soar. It's to soar. So there's the ascension. I think, isn't that cool? Right in Isaiah 52, 13, before Isaiah chapter 53, which we just sang, uh, Isaiah 53, several verses from the most powerful, the most potent passage which every believer 
should really commit to heart, to memory as best we can, that chapter, uh, because God can use it in your store, the storehouse of your heart and mind to bring to another to salvation wherever you may find yourself in the future. Um, Isaiah 53, nothing more powerful, brought so many Jewish people to the Lord and, and, and non-Jewish people too, but especially for our people. It's a powerful passage. So his death, burial, resurrection, all here. And then the very following verse is his appearance. It talks about just as many were appalled at you. His appearance was disfigured more than any man. His form more than the sons of men. There's the Messiah that we've been talking about recently, the leper, last couple weeks. The Messiah, the leper, the Metzora, the Metzora in Leviticus 14 that he is the, uh, the leper who is disfigured for us, suffers for us, and so he'll sprinkle, uh, which literally startle many nations, and kings will shut their mouth. And then it goes into uh, what has not been told them, they will see. What has not been heard, they will perceive. Who has believed our report? To whom has the Zeroah? Let's say Zeroah. Isaiah 53.1, remember the shank bone of the lamb, as we, we learned last night at the Seder, if you didn't know it before, the Zeroah, the shank bone, the arm of the Lord, the arm of the Lord been revealed, and all about our Messiah. So Yeshua's death, and in Matthew, then over to Matthew 28, let's look over there, and we see after Messiah's death that what is happening, the they're, they're guarding. The tomb is sealed. Yeshua's death. After Yeshua's death, he's, uh, the tomb is sealed. They're watching. The guards are there in chapter 27. And in chapter 28, uh, after Shabbat, being began on dawn on the first day of the week, Miriam of Magdala and the other Miriam came to look for the, the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake for an angel, the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came down and rolled back the stone and sat on it. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Angel rolled back the stone and then he just sits on the stone. <laughs> um, his appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And those uh, keeping watch were shaken for fear of him and became like dead men. So they acted like they were, you know, dead because they were afraid. So fear. Angels are angels are pretty frightening, you know. They're strong appearance. But angels, the angel answered and said, "What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? Um, don't be afraid, rather. And for I know you are looking for Yeshua, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, just." As he said, come see the place where he was lying and then go quickly now and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. Amazing. Such a, so, so many great passages. Look, I was thinking of saying, do we want to have a sunrise service tomorrow on Percy, uh, Percy Warner stairs, but where we walk every, before Shabbat, we always go for a walk up those stairs before on the way to Shabbat. We take a quick walk up and down. It takes 10 minutes and just to get a little... Anyway, but I'm not going to say it. It's too late notice. I know no one will... But anyway, I was thinking next year we're going to plan a sunrise thing at the top of the stairs where you can see it. And, uh, but 
text me if you want to do it, but it's kind of late, short note. But anyway, um, <clears throat> but I do love sunrise services. I think they're really, you love them too? Yeah, Melissa? Yeah, me too, me too. Well, we got to plan it. Help me plan it next year, Melissa. Let's get it going. Yeah. Uh, and did he, did he, you know, really, is he really alive? Is he not in the tomb? How do we know? What happened? Well, let me ask you a question. How, what happened to you to transform your life personally? What's your story? Did you meet Yeshua? Did you meet Jesus? Um, and as Crystal was sharing so beautifully, that was so beautiful, Crystal, what you shared before. Wow, so powerful. Notice a seamless transition like what you said, and that testimony is very powerful. If, you're, if you haven't met him, we hope you meet him today, if you haven't met him yet. But I hope you have met him. But if you haven't, I hope last night some people, I know we had a girl, a girl came afterwards that her, anyway, I, don't, I better not say anything, but she, you know, her, anyway, I don't think she knew him. I hope she came to meet him, met, met him last night, and I hope many met him last night in the Seder. Um, and I love this verse, because I know for me, I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't looking for him, but he found me, and he can find you. In Isaiah 65, 1, I love that verse, I was sought of those who did not ask for me. I was found of those who did not seek me. I said, hineni, hineni. Let's say hineni. Hineni. You know what hineni means, right? Here am I. Like, behold me here. Like, here am I. To a nation not called by my name, God said. So I was sort of those who did not ask me. I found of those who did not seek me. And here Yeshua comes to the disciples in verse 9. And behold, Yeshua met them. And he says, Shalom. <laughs> he greets them, Shalom. And they drew near and they grasped his feet and they worshipped him. I think the word worship in Greek actually is to kiss the face. Don't be afraid, Yeshua said. Go tell my brothers to uh, head for the Galilee, and they'll see me there. And then further down, uh, in, in, actually, or actually in the Gospel of John, we see twice he says, when he meets them into the room, he goes, Shalom Alechem. Let's say Shalom Alechem. Shalom Alechem. And you actually, in, in Jewish life, you, greet, you respond. What, how do you respond to Shalom Alechem. Alechem Shalom. Great. Let's try that. Shalom Alechem. Great, great. So twice he says, and it's John 20, verses 19 and 21, Shalom Alechem. Shalom Alechem to, the, to them. And, but I want to say the greatest evidence, what is the greatest evidence of Yeshua's resurrection? And I'm going to mention some of them here just now. But uh, the greatest evidence really is you're having you're a personal encounter a personal encounter. It, I want to say it's doubtful that you'll be convinced by the claims of history, archaeology, and even scripture, though these need to be proclaimed and presented, and they really need to be and should be. But the convincing evidence ultimately will be the power of prayer for you and a personal encounter between you and the risen Messiah, right? That's what's going to convince you, ultimately. I mean, uh, you need the mind and the heart convinced, right? I need the mind 
and the heart convinced. I know after I came to that, had that encounter, I had, her, I, I had my mind convinced with some things before, but my heart got convinced with the encounter. And then afterwards, lots of doubts. Lots of, and, and they came, and the assaults came. And I know I remember one professor who made it his goal to, to uh, topple my faith. <laughs> you know, and he was, trying to, he was trying to convince me. He was on the Nuremberg uh, Trial. He was one, one of the uh, people on Nuremberg Council or whatever, but he was a very brilliant man, and he made it his object, you know, object. He was going to convince me that Jesus was not the Messiah and that it was not true what I embraced. I had lots of doubts, lots of questions, and that was great because it caused me to have to go to the Scriptures, caused me to have to go to God and to find resources like C.S. Lewis and Francis, Dr. Francis Schaeffer and these great uh, apologists and and uh, writers and have to research you know and have to read read and and but but ultimately have to get with God and the whole ultimately I remember sitting down on a bus one day with my mind spinning and saying what if they're wrong what if I mean what if I'm wrong what if all this is right what if they, you know what if this is all nonsense that I've just, and 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 I just realized wait a minute you know what I have to talk to you about this God. Why am I talking to you about this if you don't exist, <laughs> if this isn't true? And I realized that the Spirit of God was in my heart crying, Abba, Father, in Galatians 4, 6, and Romans 8, 15, just like the Scripture said, that I had had an encounter and it was real, that now, like, who was it that said, was it last night or this morning, it's all running, I think this morning in the class that we had, a, uh, who was it said, a relationship, you know, rather than religion. That's what really happened. So... You, we each have our own story, and that's so important um, that, we, that we know that story and are able to share that story with others, and we want to share. But, um, but let me share with you with, uh, another few things about it. You know, uh, I love it because Corinthians, if you hear, read, think of the book of Corinthians or the letter, First and Second Corinthians, Corinthians does not have the sound of a very Jewish book, does it? or a letter or epistle, but actually it really is. Uh, while it's part of, was, was part of ancient Greece and later Rome, uh, and today it's part of Greece, it's a small area, but it's on the coast, uh, but the early believing community residing there in which, to which Paul wrote had many Jewish believers in it. Very obvious. It's very clear. How do we know? Well, the, well, the things he wrote about they they were seemed very familiar. They they were had to be familiar with Jewish history, with Jewish life, and Jewish customs. We know this because of his references to. In let me give you some some of the a bunch of the references. Uh, in chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen, he says, "You are God's holy temple and God's spirit." His Beit Hamikdash, his holy temple, and God's ruach, his spirit, dwells in you. That's right from the Tanakh, right from the Torah and Tanakh. 4 5, 4 verse 5, an ultimate Yom Hadin, or judgment day, he refers to, right out of the scriptures, out of the Tanakh, out of the Hebrew scriptures. 5 verses 6 through 8, he talks about chametz, Passover, right? Leaven, chametz, and celebrating Pesach, Passover. Chapter 6, verse 2, about the Kiddushim, the saints, judging the world as if they would understand. He says, you know this. Don't you know that the saints, the Kiddushim, are going to judge the world? You should know this. Well, because he's talking to an audience that is least 
part, part Jewish and or they have understanding. Chapter 9, verse 8, he references the Torah regarding taking care of God's messengers, those that are financially, those that are taking, sharing, the, stewarding the gospel. Chapter 10, and he's referencing the Torah for it. He says, chapter 10, verse 1, our fathers, our fathers, our fathers were under, all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. What sea? The, the Sea of Reeds, the Yom Saf, the Red Sea. 11 verses 23 through 26, he references Yeshua's last Seder and remembering our continuing and the, the new tradition under the Brit Chadashah, the new covenant. And these are just, uh, these are a number of the references, but there's even more. So in Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians 15, he goes into a Talmudic type argument for Yeshua's resurrection. And in turn, for resurrection period, for resurrection at all, it's a, the structure and the exposition of this argument is completely rabbinic in the way it's done. If you look there in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Now I made known to you, brothers and sisters, the good news, the besorah, which I proclaimed to you. You also received it, and you took your stand on it. You took your stand on it. We were sharing that in the class. People were sharing that how important it is to, you know, taking us, one fellow, one gentleman, brother here, shared how he took a stand in prayer in a group. I thought that was, it was a beautiful story. We were all, he took a stand in a group uh, with, in a, in a, a sports event, an activity they were doing, and he said, do you mind if I pray? I'm just going to pray before we launch out into this event, which could result in injury for anyone. It was a, you know, uh, well, oh, and they were going to eat before it, but I, I don't know. But anyway, um, but he said, can I, do you mind if I pray? And someone said, well, I'm an atheist. I really don't really want you to, you know, I don't like prayer, you know, believe in God. I don't want to pray. And he said, well, do you mind if we, oh, we're going to pray anyway or something like that. We'll just pray, you know. And so he stood up, just did that in the midst, you know, in a nice, good way, but he took the stand and Later on, a couple years later, got a call, and I'm sorry if I'm not telling it just right, but got a call after a, from this person saying, thank you. Do you want to come tell the story? She's going to tell. I'm going to keep telling. Just let me tell her. <laughs> so it gets the call from the, call from the, the, the person that's saying, thank you for taking that stand. I came, I've, I've become a believer now. I'm a, I'm a believer and you, thank you for taking that stand and saying that prayer because that made a difference. That was a, a real seed in my life that you took that stand. And I, now I've come to faith in Jesus and everything. So uh, praise the Lord. Anyway, getting really off track. But here, you also received it and you took your stand on it by, and by it you're being saved if you hold firm the word to which you, I proclaim to you unless you believed it without proper... Okay, for I also passed on to you the first... That Messiah died for your sins, our sins, according to the scriptures, according to the scriptures, because it's all predicted, <clears throat> that he was buried and was raised on the third day. So de death, burial, and resurrection, and again, according to the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, all right? Lots of prophecies, which we can, I don't know if I'll have time to mention them this morning, but there's great prophecies of the resurrection, Yeshua's resurrection, that he appeared to then his appearances, to Kepha, or Peter, then to the 12. Then he appeared to the, over 500 
brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, then to Jacob, then all to the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Amazing. So this is, uh, and then, and he, so he's, the raised, that he's raised from the dead is in the Greek perfect tense. It's emphatic. It's the most important for his readers to know. In other words, a perfect tense, I meaning it's done, perfect, gone, forever. So <clears throat> quoting, uh, you know, Isaiah 53 later and uh, Psalm 16, he's on the resurrection. Uh, Psalm 22, Zechariah 12, 10 imply it. Uh, many passages in Scripture again. But 1 Corinthians 15, uh, imagine verse 6, imagine appearing to over 500 persons who in turn must have told over 20,000 relatives and friends about it. And in verses 14 and 17, he says, if Messiah has not been raised, then our proclaiming is meaningless and your faith is also meaningless. If Messiah has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. The proof, I, <clears throat> I remember reading this chapter the first time as, uh, as a new believer. And uh, in the Living Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, and as a new believer, and I had a living translation. And I was so excited about the resurrection from the dead and the fact that there's going to be a resurrection and, and that Yeshua had resurrected. And I brought it to the table. I was with my parents visiting, and I brought it to the ta table for dinner and started reading it to them. <laughs> it's a long chapter. I started reading to them. Oh, man, it did not go over too well. Um, they were not believers, at the, you know, and, and uh, it did not go over too well. But I was super excited about it, and I wanted to share it with them. I said, this is amazing. This is, it was, it's just such an amazing, if, because our faith is based on this. And... Uh, if it's not true, if he hasn't been raised, if he hasn't been raised, then what does that mean? And if he has been raised, then what does that mean? Everything depends upon it. Steve Jobs, he died in 2011 of cancer, unfortunately, but, um, but near his end, he said this. He said, ever since I've had cancer, he said, I find myself believing in God a bit more. I want to believe in an afterlife, that when you die, it doesn't just all disappear. The wisdom you've accumulated somehow lives on, but sometimes I think it's just like an on-off switch. Click and you're gone. And that's why I don't like putting on-off switches on Apple devices. I don't know if he, I hope he found the Lord, only the Lord knows. Um, I remember a, a Jewish man, a friend of our family, I've told this story before, at the, uh, uh, after I came to the Lord at a dining room table, I shared, sharing my faith with him, and uh, he got furious. He was a very successful businessman, got red in the face, got furious, talking with, across at the dining room table together, with just me and him, and he took this, he said, took this pencil and he dropped it on the table, held it up, dropped it, and he said, when you're dead... It's like this pencil. When you're dead, you're dead. And, uh, and he literally, it was within a week, I don't know if, how many days, it was in the week he died of a heart attack. And he was, he was, he would, he was you know, and I, you know, anyway, very shocking. Woody Allen is known for his statements. 
where he said, uh, I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> uh, or uh, the one I have a slide for this one, I, you know, I, don't want to, I don't want to achieve immortality through my work, I want to achieve immortality through not dying. Well, you need to find Yeshua, Woody. You need to find uh, Yeshua. But some 2,700 years ago, Job asked the big question, if a man dies, will he live again? And the answer is yes. You know, And there are four foundational doctrines of the faith that were among the early Messianic Jews in resurrection from the dead, and eternal judgment was one of them. We see that in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, that uh, there, it mentions the you know, leaving the basic teaching of the, of the Messiah, let us move on toward maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, of trust in God, of teaching about immersions, laying on of hands, and resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgments. So, uh, always been in Judaism and rabbinic thought, there's many, many, uh, you know, uh, many, many uh, things I could give you on it. I've taught this at length in uh, even at the Messiah conference or in the rabbis conference on resurrection and the afterlife in Jewish thought. Uh, maybe we'll be able to do a class on it here sometime, but more in depth with all the prophecies and the rabbinic references and the Hebrew scriptures. But, um, but I do want to share, say this, share this from Pastor Wer Richard Wormbrand. I love, I think this is, you know, what about Yeshua's resurrection, Yeshua's resurrection from the dead? Could he have staged it? Could he have depended upon his terrified, cowardly disciples to break through a band of soldiers, roll away the sealed stone, and release him without any hindrance? Professor Theodore Mommesen, the renowned historian of the Roman Empire, calls the resurrection of Yeshua the event in ancient history which has been more conclusively proved than any other. We accept, listen to this, we accept the writings of Homer, Herodotus, and Julius Caesar. What about Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, and Paul? Why should we believe some historians and not others? Writes Wormbrandt, our intelligence should behave like an impartial court of law, carefully and competently weighing the statements of witnesses. The witnesses of Jesus' resurrection risked loss of liberty and death for what they wrote. They did not write to endear themselves to their readers. Most books today are written for that purpose, right? Matthew died as a martyr in Abyssinia. John was condemned to slave labor on the island of Patmos. And Paul was beheaded in Rome. Peter was crucified head downwards. No impartial court would lightly dismiss the evidence of witnesses ready to suffer such hardships for what they assert. All of them declared unanimously that they were convinced by seeing, hearing, and touching of the reality of Jesus or Yeshua's resurrection from the dead. Which is easier to believe? The miracle of the resurrection or that his followers were hallucinating. If the spouse of a soldier is told that her husband or wife is dead or is dead, but then someone or many 
come and say that they've seen him or her alive in a prisoner of war camp, would they not believe the report? Well, the women, the apostles, the 500, and the many others brought this news. Consider the following. Jesus wrote no book, nor while he lived on earth did he establish anything but a very insignificant sect within Judaism, except consisting of a few people who were unlearned and who had not considered, were not considered reputable, sinful men, tax collectors, and fallen women. Finally, one of his closest followers betrayed him, another denied him, and the others deserted him. He died on the cross abandoned and apparently despairing because he, as he hung there, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? After his death, he was buried, and a large stone was placed in front of his tomb, and guards were posted. Meanwhile, his former disciples remained in hiding behind locked doors, and their only concern was to escape a death similar to that of their rabbi. This is how Yeshua's life on earth ended. If Yeshua did not rise... How has the Messianic and Christian religion or movement come to, into being and continued to exist after 2,000 years? Our explanation is simply that he actually came back to life from the dead on the third day and appeared on numerous occasions to his apostles, assuring them that he was, it was really him. They came together again, and the risen Messiah worked with them, guiding them and giving them power to do signs and wonders like he himself had done prior to his death. The same cowardly Peter who had previously denied he knew him stood up in the marketplace of Jerusalem courageously testifying that he had seen the risen Messiah. The other apostles did so too, risking death they traveled from one country to another, sealing with a martyr's death their conviction that Yeshua had risen. Wow. So there seems to be no question in the response to Peter's proclamation about whether or not the tomb was empty. No contesting it. They didn't say like, well, let's go see if he's still there, that he's still there. Rabbi Saul's about face, about face, Paul, the apostle, Rabbi Saul, his about face is one of the most compelling ones in Acts 9. James, or Jacob, the brother of Yeshua, became a believer later on, though earlier thinking him to be crazy. By his letter, the book of James, it must have been the resurrection of his brother that convinced him, since he did not attend his teachings. And by the way, History says he died as a martyr by being stoned to death. Millions of people throughout these past 2,000 years share miraculous rebirth stories, including all of us this morning, many of us this morning. Are they all misguided, deceived, hallucinating, or even worse, lying? They credit a risen Messiah, Yeshua, or Jesus for these radical, transformative experiences. That's all from Pastor Richard Wormbrandt, who I love so much.
his writings. So what's the greatest evidence of Yeshua's resurrection? Our encounter, a personal story that I hope we each have. And there, the scriptures, yes, the, the, that declare it. The, I mean, the, the evidence, the history, the archaeology, all of that, absolutely. But we need an encounter based upon the truth that he is risen. We need an experience with the Holy Spirit who will transform our lives. And so, Father, we thank you for the account today. We thank you that we celebrate your uh, giving your son your, in sacrifice and the, his resurrection. doesn't matter what day, it, if it was tomorrow, actually, or another day. The issue, it happened. We're celebrating it. Many are celebrating it around the world tomorrow in many places. And we're thankful. We're celebrating in our hearts right now. So we thank you, Lord. Thank you for this truth. We thank you that we're going to see our loved ones again, Lord. We thank you that it's true. And I wish we had time to read through this, but I hope we'll take it as homework, 1 Corinthians 15. We thank you that it's true that you have risen, that we're going to have new bodies, glorious bodies like your body, without pain, without suffering, and you will wipe away all the tears and as we sang earlier, we're going to, you're, we, we thank you, Lord, that you're, we're going to have an amazing future with you and be reunited with our loved ones. We thank you so much for the resurrection that we look forward to. If you've never trusted Yeshua yourself, open your heart up now and say a prayer. Lord God, I need you. Lord, thank you for sending your son. Give me this, give me this encounter with you. I want it. I want to meet you. Thank you for speaking to me. I happen to be watching this or hear this. I happen to be here this morning. I'm here. I'm watching. I'm listening. I'm, and so, Lord, you're, you're speaking to my heart. Forgive me. Give me this new start right now. I'm releasing myself to you. Lord, I can't do it, but you can. I can't do it, but you can. Thank you. Thank you for what you've done. And and just the, the, the scripture says he will give you a brand new heart and mind. And he, does, he did it for all of us, a new start. Let us know that you're making that decision of trusting Yeshua today. <laughs> Bishem Yeshua HaMashiach Sar HaShalom The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, the ruler of peace. Amen.